Welcome back, dude and dudettes, to another wild episode of Send It, Mate. We're here to talk about all things hunting and outdoors, and today we've got something that'll keep your gear running smoother than a dingo's getaway. That's right, our show is brought to you by High Calibre, the gun and knife hole company that knows how to keep your firearms and blades in tip-top shape. High Calibre is like the secret sauce for hunters, anglers and outdoorsy folk everywhere. It's like the magic potion that makes your gun and knives happier than a dog with two tails. You know, guys, I've been using high-caliber oil for a while now, and let me tell you, it's the duck's nuts. My rifle practically sings a lullaby when I take it out hunting. And speaking of lullabies, ever tried sneaking up on a deer with a squeaky gun? It's a prime way to end up with no venison in the freezer. You'll be hungrier than a vegan at a bacon festival. Absolutely. But with high-caliber oil, your gun will be quieter than a ninja in moonlight. You'll be stalking your prey with the grace and stealth of a mountain lion. High Calibre doesn't just keep things quiet, it also prevents rust and corrosion, so you won't find your gear looking like it's spent a season at the bottom of a creek. That's right, and for you knife enthusiasts out there, High Calibre has got you covered too. Your trusty blade will slice through anything smoother than butter on a hot biscuit. So folks, don't let your gear become a rusty squeaky mess. Head on over to highcalibre.com.au and grab a bottle of their oil today. And if you use the code SENDITMATE at checkout, you'll get a special discount. I say again, use the code SENDITMATE for all your oil slick, stealthy hunting needs. Thanks to High Calibre, you'll be sending it in style and silence. So, gear up, oil up, and send it, mate. High Calibre, the ultimate oil for the ultimate hunter. Welcome, dude and dudettes. How's your week? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Good? Yep. Can't yeah. complain. It's been awesome, and I'm pretty excited for today, actually. I am too. And this is actually on a Saturday afternoon, which none of our listeners will will really get to know, because <laughs> it'll all still come out on a Monday, but that's all right. All good. So, I'm Caleb. I'm Josh. And today, we've got a special guest all the way from Seattle. We do. We do. And many of you might know him from the YouTube series, Rugged Expedition. That's right. We've got Jay Allen Smith. How you going, mate? Woo! Doing great. <laughs> and not in Seattle, uh, kind of in the Seattle area. You know, uh, we're kind of a – Seattle's one of the most left-wing places in uh, the U.S., so I like to say that I'm from the Seattle area. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> It's important to make that distinction by the sounds of it. (laughs) Well, it kind of is. You know, I'm probably the only guy within 100 miles of here that has a room with dead stuff in it. (laughs) Uh, I was actually uh, doing a speech in the Seattle area uh, about three months ago, and it was for a children's orthopedic. I emcee quite a few different events that have nothing to do with hunting as well as hunting stuff. But I was standing in there, and there was about 4,000 people in the room. And I was looking around and I thought, you know, there isn't probably one hunter in this room. And all of a sudden I realized what Barack Obama must feel like at a Ted Nugent concert. (laughs) 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 How how did the connection then get made if, if you're from a left state like that? 
and you're a hunter. You know, surprisingly, Washington State, which is where Seattle is at, is a, a great hunting area. We have, like many areas, as you guys in Australia know, the cities run the country. Mm-hmm. So everybody that lives outside, like within an hour of my house, I've got great duck hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting, you know, all the small stuff as well. We have mountain goat, uh, black bear. You know, there's a lot of things in the, on the West Coast of the U.S. that even though it's, you know, left-wing cities, we have great farming areas and a lot of wilderness. We have a lot of uh, government forestry land that is open to public hunting. Mm. So wow. it's, it's great. You know, we, we can all get out there and enjoy the outdoors without having our private land and stuff like that. So, yeah. So that's the, that's the difference in, in Australia when it's a left state, there is zero opportunity for any of that period. <laughs> like, no, there's no public land hunting. If you're in a left state, it's just, that's it. Lockdown. I mean, you get your private land, but it's so, oh, it's, it's tighter than it takes ass to get onto because everyone just wants it for themselves and things like that. So, sure. But, but yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely the states is where it's at when it comes to all this. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, we're uh, we're pretty keen to get into things and and uh, learn about you. And I think a lot of our Australian listeners who might be well not familiar with what uh, what you get up to, Alan. And you know, you've been described as a hunter, a writer, a musician, and an adventurer. So you've got your fingers in a few pies, but uh, we especially want to hear about all your hunting adventures all over the world. And just to give people a taste, you've actually hunted over 350 species around the world. You've got the world Grand Slams of sheep and goats, the North American Grand Slam of sheep, and the African Big Five. And just there, I think you've done more than most people we've ever talked to. So... <laughs> well, some people don't have a life, you know, so that's me, you know, that. I got at it. uh, I was lucky that my first business was uh, in Alaska and I started in Kodiak, which for those of you that don't know, is a big island that sits off there, the home of the biggest bears in the world. And when I got up there, I'd only done bird hunting and fishing and stuff. My dad wasn't a big hunter, but he certainly took us out in the outdoors. I had a couple brothers. So, you know, you got three boys, you got to get them out and wear them out on the weekends. So we played sports and did that, but uh, I got into bird hunting in high school. And then when I got to Alaska, you know, everybody there goes hunting and fishing. It's part of your lifestyle. It's certainly part of filling your freezer. And I would go into people's homes and their businesses and everybody's got a head on the wall. You know, they got all the cool stuff, you know, they got a bearskin rug, they got a caribou head, they've got, you know, a doll sheep, they've got, you know, it's just grizzly bears. It's just a wonderful place for hunting and fishing. So I had guys start taking me out. We also have a deer there called a Sitka blacktail deer that's on Kodiak. Yeah. Uh, just a great eating deer. And uh, at the time, the limit was five per season, as, which was great and a great way to learn how to hunt and that on your own on the island. So it was that was kind of the, I don't know what happened, but some switch went off and I started getting more and more into hunting and then there was something about the taxidermy too. You know, I just love taxidermy. Like it's a work of art Mm. and and which it is, you know, it's very difficult to do and there's certainly good and bad taxidermy, but I just started striving towards trying to make enough money so I could keep going hunting. You know, it it literally is what drove me to uh, some success level was that if I didn't work my ass off during the week, I couldn't go hunting 
And certainly if I wanted to go on a more exotic hunt, like a bear hunt or a, you know, a somewhere else in North America was the beginning of it. Then I had to work hard. So, you know, it was kind of like a, everybody's driven by something and that was my driving force. Your, your first business that was in shipping? Yes. Shipping. Yep. 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 I started that up and uh, going in there and uh, taking, uh, there was a big ship that came in and just dumped the freight off on the dock. So we came in, we started loading containers and delivering it to the customer's door. And that was our little niche. Oh, oh wow. Very good. <clears throat> That's a good niche to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So are you, are you still involved with shipping now? No, I uh, uh, sold it a few years ago and or quite a few years ago now. And, uh, you know, it was cramping my hunting style. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I found somebody that wanted to be in the shipping business a lot more than I did. Yep. So it worked great means to an end you've probably dodged a bullet there because shipping all around the world has been absolutely crazy since covid oh yeah (laughs) could you imagine i mean it's a joke over here yeah yeah so our shipping containers pre-covid were about four grand that's what uh, a retailer would pay to to have the space of a of a shipping container now it's it's up to sixteen thousand dollars now a container so our price of living here is just it's through the roof. It's it's uh, quite stupid, and there's such a backlog. And I'm sure it's the same in the states. But there's such a backlog in in produce that coming to the country that as soon as it's here, it's all gone. Yeah, we just had a big milk shortage, or not milk, but uh, baby formula here in the US. Yeah. We did that and manufacturing and blah blah blah. But yeah, I'm so happy right now not to be taking those customer complaints. Like, <laughs> for starters, it's not here, and it's five times the cost, and you're going big game hunting. No wonder my costs are so high. <laughs> I just feel like, mate, someone's got to pay for my hobbies. <laughs> just hang up. How am, I, how am I supposed to go buffalo hunting if I'm not charging you an exorbitant rate? <laughs> Oh dear! <laughs> uh, so true. Though. You can say these things when you're not in that business anymore. <laughs> yeah. By the way, very yeah. true. Very yeah. true. Very true. What say we we jump over to the formatted questions? I'm so keen to go freestyle, but let's get these first ten questions out of the way. We've 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 established where you are at the moment. You started off in in Canada, or was it Alaska? You started off. Where where are you from originally? I was actually born in Canada, in uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, which is the middle of nowhere, and. Uh, Kind of a funny little twist on this. Uh, Jim Shockey, who I'm sure you've all heard of and a uh, good friend of mine. It wasn't until uh, about four years ago, we got talking about this and that. And it came up that because he's from Saskatchewan as well. And we actually were born about 60 miles apart from each other. Oh, wow. And I told him, I said, you know, it's it's really odd that two guys who ended up in the big game hunting world and television and, you know, internet and all the stuff that we do would be from little towns in the middle of nowhere. And then, and it's really amazing that one of us ended up with a great show. (laughs) Burn. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What Jim's Prince Albert, Saskatchewan is a great place to be from. Why? brother-in-law is not far actually uh from where they i don't think he was born but where they live oh where saskatchewan is i can't remember exactly but yeah in the general vicinity Gen- yeah so many many great people have come from around that area <laughs> you're saying your brother-in-law is a great person i gotta say that because he's my brother-in-law so. yeah 
<laughs> and he's a doctor. So <laughs> fair enough. Oh. Yeah, he treats all my ailments. <laughs> so so how did you end up in the US? Uh, my dad got transferred down. Uh, he was working for a company and uh, when we were nine and 10 in that bracket, they uh, shipped, uh, sent him down from Vancouver to Seattle. So it's only about 160 miles from Canada. So yeah. it worked out good. We could still go back and see the family that was in the Vancouver area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. Oh, nice. Well, it's a great part of the world. I mean, we've never yeah. been there, but uh, we are obsessed with the show Alone which is on Vancouver Island. So that sort of scenery that you see around there is, is pretty amazing. So we definitely have to get over there and have a look sometime for ourselves. And the Seattle area looks just like that as well. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Forest and on the water, we're on wet. the coast. Yeah. <laughs> really <Very similar>. wet. <laughs> it rains all the time. That's what we tell, that's what we tell everybody. <laughs> so don't move here. Yeah, exactly. It rains every day. Miserable place. Don't come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, question two, Alan. What is your favorite food? Uh, wild sheep. I would say, uh, you know, the backstrap, tenderloins, the ribs. We kind of have a tradition here in North America that when you shoot a bighorn sheep, you know, whichever of the species of the four of them, it's very traditional to take the ribs and, you know, set them next to the fire and cook them real slow and, the question is always, is it actually that good of meat or is it that you've been working your ass off for 14 days, climbing around in the mountains with your whole camp on your back yep. and you've lost 15 pounds and, you know, you'd eat your shoe. <laughs> no, it really is uh, fantastic meat and uh, it's not, uh, uh, not gamey and doesn't taste like uh, domestic sheep at all. Yep. It's real clean, like a normal venison. Oh, cool. So, oh, so it's not as fatty as, as your domestic lamb. Um, no, uh, same amount of fat like you'd have, say, on a fallow deer or something like that. Yep. You know, quite a bit on the back and on the rump. But typically your old rams, you know, they're worn down and, you know, be like eating an old bull cow. You know I mean? Yeah. But they're still good. They're, they're still flavorful. They don't get strong, which is kind of surprising. But uh, Yeah, nice. Yep. Do you have a favorite way of preparing it? Uh, on a fire, on a stick. Um, and hopefully you have some salt and pepper. Bit of rose. <laughs> if next time try a bit of rosemary, I don't know what it's like on Dow sheep, but the lamb I eat here, bit of bit of rosemary. That's perfect. Yeah, ace. Yeah. yeah. Our problem with sheep hunting is you've got to carry everything. Yeah. So you know, but but a little flask of it that's a great idea. Or make make up a little batch of spices or something to haul along. But yeah, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. Some little plastic containers, little snap lock containers. Yeah. Does a trick, a few herbs and spices. Yeah. yeah. But you will eat, you're definitely right. You'll eat anything once you've been slogging your guts out <laughs> a few days in shit weather. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. All right, Alan, what was your first job? Uh, my first job was, uh, I mean, a real job, I guess. I played uh, soccer for uh, Rotherham United in the third division in England when I was 16 and uh, moved over there and played there. And then, uh, Came back to the U.S. after that and finished high school, and then I kicked around different leagues and that. And then uh, I went back to England and played with Middlesbrough on their reserve team, played in the U.S. And then, uh, thank God, a guy cheap-shotted me and broke my ankle when I was in Middlesbrough playing, <laughs> and uh, you know, I had to get a real job and uh, get into hunting. So, oh, it worked out well in the end then. Yeah, yeah. My, my dad says I should send the guy a check every week. <laughs> 
best thing that ever happened to me. Soccer, soccer in the states. I just, I just wouldn't think that's uh, that's that big. It was the my dad played in Canada, mm-hmm. so when we moved to the states, we kept playing, and then he was real influential in setting up junior soccer in Washington State specifically. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but there was very little of it. We we played with the. Do you have CYO down there? The Catholic youth. No. Uh, like if if you have a Catholic school, the kids that go there play against other Catholic schools. Yep. Oh, yep. So we're not Catholic, but that was the only soccer teams that were around because all your different uh, parishes would be, you know, one would be the uh, Italians, the other one would be the Croatians, the other church would be the French, you know, Catholics. So it was all these clans at each of the different churches. <laughs> and uh, so we played for different ones. And then they found out we weren't Catholic. And this is in the old days, you know, when they didn't like that stuff. So uh, yeah, my dad had to start you know, non-Catholic soccer. <laughs> yeah, I went to Catholic school, stuff that. <laughs> yeah, so, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, next question. Now, this seems like a bizarre question to ask you, but if you could trade places with anyone in the world, who would that be? Huh. Please say Trump. Please say Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe maybe Donald Jr. because he at least hunts, but yeah, not not senior. He's got he's got too much going on. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'd have to reach back a ways. Maybe David Beckham. David, you Beckham. know, uh, oh yeah. Uh, although he's not a hunter, but you know, he's you know. You still like a football player, you know. Yeah. He's led a pretty good life, I guess. But yeah. no, nah, I'm I'm kind of happy being, you know, Alan Smith, but you know, <laughs> oh wait a minute, hold on a second. Let me back up. Eric Clapton. Yeah, that's what I want to be. I didn't ah. think about that. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's touching on one of your other passions, which is music. So you're a guitarist? Yeah. Um I you know, did it through high school and college and you know, with you can't play soccer all day. So we do that at night and evenings. And it was always that catch 22 of, you know, I've got to get home in time to go to soccer practice in the morning, but you know, it might've been a good set. might've been a good crowd. Maybe there's a couple of groupies, you know, you, you don't. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure. So yeah, it's always up fun up. to play. And we're still playing a bit. We have some uh, videos on YouTube. Yeah. We've we'll uh, watched a couple of those. Yeah, my brother Monty, uh, who's in the videos with me, he's got a recording studio. He's a full-time pro and always has been. Yep. So it's really lucky for me that I get to go into his studio and, you know, he could, t- could take my gravelly voice and clean it up at least and make it all in, in key. So that's good. So Did you write, yeah, write your own music for your show? Yep. Everything in the show was all ours. Yep. And uh, uh, all the, some of the background music, like the little orchestrated stuff, you know, like the dun, 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 you know, those <laughs> yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, Monty created a lot of that, but we did use some canned, uh, you know, one of the buying services that you can get. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, That's you know. just working smart, not hard, because you don't yeah. have to create yeah. everything yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very nice. Very nice. I did like it because it, 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 you could tell that you had, you had written it uh, uh, and created the, the music, so I added that little bit bit of extra personality to it i mean we did the same for the riff at the start of of our intro here and yeah it's just like your your personal little touch on it with music it's good yeah not that i'm a musician no but it's always fun just to create something you know whatever it is you know it's just neat to have something that you know you're not 
using canned stuff all the time. And somebody goes, Hey, isn't that the song? From- <laughs> <laughs> I always tell my missus that, that music makes a, a video. Like you could have the most plainest video and then the music on it. Like, let's face it, the breakfast club, uh, it's terrible, <laughs> but the music makes it. It does. <laughs> it does. Wow. You pulled out out of nowhere. You just started- <laughs> Yeah. That is how it's Josh's a, brain works. That's a tangent. <laughs> I was going to say, I wouldn't have gone to the Breakfast Club on any hunting show. <laughs> Excuse me, speaking of my throat being kind of scratchy, hold on, what's this noise? Hey. Oh, that's a noise we love. It is. Hey, speaking of which, is the uh, you guys are down south, right? Yeah, it's South Australia. At, yep. Adelaide? Yep. Um, so what is it down there? Is it Carlton or... <laughs> No, no, Carlton. Coopers. Coopers is what we're, we're we're known for in South Australia. Yeah, Coopers and West End we're known for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West End tastes like like <laughs> you may as well drink Victorian bitter, which I'm sure is going to piss off a lot of people. And then Coopers, it's like drinking a ten course meal in a can. It's ridiculous. Uh, that's our standard personal taste, though. So Josh isn't a heavy beer drinker. Uh, Cooper's Pale Ale is probably the the most recognised uh, Adelaide beer. It is it is quite a heavy pale ale, but I love it. It is like a meal in a bottle, as he says. But um, and you have to roll it before you drink it just to get the sediment stirred up a little bit. Yeah, that's the key. Seriously, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Wow, so but, it is a meal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of is, but that's yeah. a that's a family owned business, and um, yeah, they compete with the big boys. So good on them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, if you ever if you ever down in Adelaide, we'll we'll, we'll take you out for a few coopers. <laughs> yeah, but most of my uh, you know time in Australia has been spent in uh, Queensland. Yep. So you know all the bogans there are drinking four X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. You know, and I'm and I'm drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon, which is the redneck. You know, which is well, you know, your bogan is our redneck. Yep. So, uh, I'm having one of those, so that I'm basically just a redneck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's the way to be. We love it. Look, uh, South Australia is under—I believe it's underrated for its hunting. We have some outstanding fallow hunting and and red deer hunting here in in South Australia. Absolute. There's some crackers this year that have been pulled out with with fallow. Caleb's been lucky enough to hit a monster this year, actually. <laughs> Very lucky. All so, the pictures and uh, it, yeah, it looks it's amazing. For some reason, I'd never heard anything about down that area until like six months ago. Mm. Yep. yep. In the states, it's not known at all as being a hunting destination. I can tell you, it's oh. yeah, it's it's underrated, lot heavily underrated. I mean, we don't have a diverse range of species like other states, but we still have. We, we get a little bit of rooster, your fallow, your red. Yeah, so we get camels and things like that if you go north, but that's pretty much a desert and it's terrible. <laughs> it's oh, the camels. Yeah, it's, 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 that's why they live there. Yeah. yeah. It is, uh, and you got a lot of wild boar? Uh, in South Australia, not so much. They are starting to push through, but just across to the Vic border, they're coming down and they're, they're coming down from the arid climates and starting to hit into the uh, high country areas. Mm. So you'll get pig in in hilly i wouldn't call it mountainous terrain because that's that's a bit of a joke it's not really (laughs) mountainous but yeah it's quite it's steeper than what we have here in adelaide (laughs) sure everything's pretty flat around here which is handy but you got to walk a lot yeah yeah you're trading 
elevation for for definitely uh, miles as the crow flies here in in South Australia. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. All right, Alan. Do you have kids? Yes, two girls, and uh, both uh, very successful. One's got a her own uh, women's clothing store, and the other one's a veterinarian. Oh, very good. Yeah, a so vet. <laughs> that went that went completely sideways. <laughs> <laughs> and she's married uh, to a vet also, which is great. And uh, actually, just had my first grandson, which is you know the best thing of all time. Oh, congrats! Congrats! Yeah, but they're. Uh, I tried to get them to come in here and revive some of the stuff in the room, but they've had no luck so far. So they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I did take her though when uh, she was 18 we went down to uh South Africa and did some rhino darting. Oh, very good. And uh that was pretty cool and so she got to you know load up the darts with the uh rompum and stuff and then uh when uh after it was down you know they got to give it the you know like I'm losing the word uh, you know the antidote to make it oh, come back around. Yep. Yeah. So she got to put the injection in the ear, you know, and all that. So that's pretty cool. And she already knew she wanted to be a veterinarian, but there's yeah. not a lot of vets can say they've handled black and white rhinos, you know, so that was pretty cool. Was that for, for, uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, gray hunting or, or was that for, uh, her veterinary sort of experience? It was, uh, the white rhino, we went down to move it because it was in one of the parks in Natal. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to move it to another area because they get too many bulls in there. And so I, they were probably selling it. I mean, I don't know all the details, but so I got to go down there and help them out with it. And then because she was going to college to be a vet, then it helped her that, you know, she could have it in her resume. And then we did black as well. The black though, we just, um, he was at a, a game farm, mm-hmm. a big one, like a 10,000 acre pen that he was in so i guess you really can't call it a pen there was a couple of them in there a male and a female and it's pretty sporty i mean a white rhino is you know like a holstein they're not very smart but a black (laughs) rhino is the real deal yeah yeah that's the that's the one that was the dangerous one and so so the black will go yeah like they'll oh they come no problem you know you it's the only time you've got a dart gun in one hand and a 577 in the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, speaking of dangerous things, what is the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Uh, let's see. I've only truly been charged by two uh, Cape Buffalo, like full tilt, you know, the real deal. And that's pretty bad. Uh, but probably the stupidest scariest that you would never do again is going polar bear hunting up on the ice. (laughs) And we did it with dog teams. Uh, You couldn't use snow machines then. So you had to leave the land with a dog team. We had two sets of dogs, you know, two dog teams and you go out there and they've literally got a little pup tent with uh, a Coleman stove, uh, you know, gas pump up stove. Yep. That's it for heat. I never took, any of my clothes off except to go potty. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, we don't want to get too graphic here, but that's a big timing issue. You <laughs> 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 got on eight layers of clothes that are about, you know, four inches thick and you've got to peel down and not sit there too long <laughs> or squat. And then, 
And if you do wait too long, then, you know, you're going to have an accident. So I feel it's like kind of, adult diapers would be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> and there, and, you know, I wish I would have thought of that. But, uh, but yeah. So, but you know, you're out there and you're literally on, you know, the moving ice, you know, you'll see your tracks and you're making a big circle and you come back and the ice is split and shifted and your tracks come to a stop and they disappear. And then 400 yards to the left, there's your tracks where you came from. So the ice is moving, you know, it's a real deal. And it's, it's a wild experience. You go out there. I got one on the ninth day. I think it was eighth or ninth day. And, uh, Never, never been so happy to get a hunt over with in my life. Oh, were they are they aggressive? Polar Very. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would say though, not to make it too built up, and you know, I yeah. mean, I am a writer, so it is a license. <laughs> poetic license. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's the word I meant. Poetic <laughs> license. Uh, but uh, they, I think that it's more that they don't see any human beings out there because there's nobody out there, you know, other than hunters or seal hunters. Once in a while, they might run across one because the natives will go out and kill seals for food and the oil that's in them. But when they see you, they just come because they think you're something to eat. You know, it's not anything that's on the ice. They eat it. Yeah. They're walrus, seal, sea lion, you know, that's all there is out there. So I think that it's more that it's not like he sees you and he's mad at you. He's just, coming for you because he's you know hungry hungry. yeah and uh, makes sense but yeah it was pretty wild like especially i hit him once and he came right away you know he was already coming and i hit him and it just sped him up but i hit him in the center of the chest with a 375 so that slowed him down pretty good (laughs) bloody hell wow that would be an experience to be honest like out there on a moving iceberg (laughs) essentially the thing is like that's such a different experience certainly for us because in australia there is nothing that will fight back or have a go at you so it's that's a whole other element to a hunt i guess is having something dangerous out there that can turn around and hunt you Mm. yeah but you you do have uh, what the seven deadliest snakes and and, uh so yeah you have to be careful on the way to the hunt <laughs> yeah, you got the biggest crocodiles in the world. Uh, what else bites there? Yeah, there's yeah. there's not there's not a whole lot. I mean, a roo, a kangaroo would would go you if you got into its into its personal space. But and we have this we have this stupid thing here in Australia where we almost make our wild roos tame by feeding them and by not not putting any pre- like hunting pressure or anything on them. So you can get quite close to kangaroos and they're quite dumb creatures. So you can get what comes to mind is there's a, a famous walk, hiking track just not far from here and it's quite often uh, there's a lot of people going up and down there and the roos will just sit off to the, the side of the track. You walk past one and you get a big male. He's Yeah, he'll, he'll, um, he'll rear up on you but... I think people are a little bit more brighter than the kangaroos and they're like, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they won't God, charge you, that's, that's for sure. That'd be so bad for your reputation, though, if you got killed by a kangaroo and you're a big game hunter, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're just not going to understand at your funeral. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> I mean, it'd be the end of your hunting career if it didn't end your life. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And odds are you'd be singing falsetto after that too, but. (laughs) 
I think I'd be wetting my pants if you got, <laughs> got stunned by a roo. <laughs> All right. Alan, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice I ever got was my dad told me when I was probably, I don't know, young teenager. He said, you know, you're not going to be the smartest guy. You're not going to be the absolute best that there is through education. But if you make a plan and you stick to it and you outwork everybody else, you'll be successful. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've lived by those words ever since, you know, there's always somebody that, the you know, better singer, better guitar player, better hunter, better blah, 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 you know, better businessman, richer, got a bigger boat, got a bigger plane, you know, on and on. But if you just make a plan on what you want to do and you work hard, it works. It happens. That's it. You know, that's it. Yeah. That's certainly, yeah, certainly shine in your trophy room there. (laughs) 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 And I'm sure there's more. Get, yeah, back to plan A, you know. Okay. And and I'll, I'll let me go further on that. This is a, it, interesting. So I saved up my money and I wanted to go to Africa. You know, I, I for some reason I had this thing about Africa, even as a teenager, you know, that and I wasn't even big game hunting. Um, my mom kept this drawing that she gave me when I was, I don't know, 30 or something. And she, it was a drawing that I'd done in elementary school of a little stick man with a pith helmet on it and he was holding a gun and you know how you draw the bullet, uh, you know, going through the air. Yep. And I had drawn a lion at the other end. Oh, wow. Oh. And the lion's going, eh, you know, he's making this face, <laughs> there's blood coming out, you know, behind his shoulder. <laughs> and it said what I want to be when I grow up. Now, what that would have to do with anything like, I don't know where I would have seen a magazine. I didn't see anything on TV, but something must have clicked at some point or I, you know, just weird deal, right? Growing up in the city, never having killed anything in your life. Yeah. But so anyhow, I saved up all my money and I went to Africa, went to Zimbabwe. And uh, of course I went there on a budget with uh, one Buffalo, you know, one Impala and a clip springer, I think, or something. Cause that's all I could afford. Well, then I saw a kudu and, you know, how much are these? Oh, 800 bucks, you know, in those days. And uh, so I came back, you know, dead broke from the, from the trip. And I was on the plane and I had a yellow notepad and I made a written plan for, for business that if I did what I had written down, I thought that I could save enough money that I could go back to Africa every two years for a two week trip. Let's go. It it didn't have anything to do with a nicer house or a better pickup truck or that wasn't it. The title was how can I get back to Africa in two years? That's amazing. I love that plan. Yeah. It's a, that's, that's, did you stick to your, obviously you stuck to your business plan that you wrote on the, the yellow pad. Yeah. And, uh, it was great. Yeah. It was a little rough on my marriage, but you know, <laughs> um, but I did get to go back, uh, two years later and then 
it just became, uh, you know, the thing you always plan for, you know, for every two years, I'd go back to Africa to some other place. And I was lucky that I had a couple of guys that I knew that were, that were going to other oddball places. Mm. So rather than just going back to the same place all the time, Mm. they'd say, Hey, let's go to, you know, central African Republic, or let's go to Benin, or let's go to, you know, Liberia or wherever all the places are that we've been through the years. So it's been great. And it's one of the things about Safari club too, that's really been great is that that's where you really get to meet a lot of like-minded people, you know, uh, like coming to Australia hunting, you know, that's where our first couple of times I came down there, it was, you know, through guys that I'd met there. Cause otherwise, you know, how would I know anybody, you know, especially in the, before all the internet and stuff, you know, where you couldn't make a connection, but uh, mm, I've heard nice- that, that uh, some parts of Africa can be quite sketchy to say the least when you're talking about going to a different state. How'd you find that? Cause obviously not all States are, Countries. Stable countries, it's countries. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're countries no, as big as our states. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, like uh, Tanzania, South Africa, safe places, great to go, very organized. Uh, Zimbabwe is still okay, like you know, nothing's gonna happen to you because you're with you're being handled by you know professionals from the time you get there till you leave. But yeah, some of them, like Central African Republic which is actually where my first novel is based from. Uh, and I wrote the outline of that story while I was in camp. We had terrorists come right into camp, shoot up the camp while we were there. Um, <laughs> you know, the revolution while we were there, the UN took the two charter planes that were available. We had to have uh, the Catholic rescue mission, which is not rescuing you know, hunters, it was for rescuing, <laughs> you know, people from the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's why they came and got me. I, didn't <laughs> I tried to convert you. Uh, White devil. Yeah. <laughs> They're going, aren't you the guy that quit playing CYO soccer? And uh, so they, uh, but anyhow, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, the, you know, a, a guy flew in a 206 and picked us up in this camp and flew us to Cameroon because we couldn't go back to, you know, it just, it was a nightmare, but, so stuff like that does happen, you know, Liberia has got no infrastructure, no roads, you know, Liberia is uh, pretty safe though. In general, CAR is not at all, yep. you know, some of the other places, Chad and, you know, Benin, there's a lot of crap holes out there that, you know, if you're uh, if you want to go collect oddball species, then yeah, you would go, but to go on a really nice safari and have a great time and, you know, stay in, nice tented camps and all that, you know, your Tanzanias and Zimbabwe, of course, Botswana, yep. um, all very nice, uh, Zambia. And, and South you've, Africa, really nice. you've done Pakistan as well. Yeah, quite a bit. I think I've been to Pakistan eight or nine times now. Is that and, uh, difficult to organize? Yeah. Uh, it's one that you really need to save your money for. Yep. Yeah. You I know, they've imagine. got, certain species and they're the only ones that got them. So it would help if you were a bank robber, if you decide (laughs) that you want to go there, but uh, they have a, but it's, it's very well organized. It's just kind of odd. You know, if we've got a couple shows on the YouTube channel that are Pakistan hunts Mm. and you see there that we've got a, a lead car that's got armed, you know, army guys in it and a guy behind you with a 
50 cal on a pedestal, you know, <laughs> like something out of Afghanistan. And so, but you know, we've never had any problems and the people are great. The, the local people that you hunt with and you stay with and all that fantastic people uh, give you the shirt off their back. Very nice and accommodating. And it, it's, it's a great place. The people are super. It's definitely one that I'd like to do. Uh, to be honest, but yeah, I might have to save my pennies up by the sounds of it. Well, make a two-year business plan and stick to it, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just jot it down on my notebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I, I, this is where that sickness of hunting comes in, though. Of the you know of the the passion that you wonder what happened. Like you know, you try and explain it to somebody that's never been there or has no idea. Why would you want to go? Like, why would you? you know, they think you're taking your life in your hands. I just think it's another Saturday, but you know, it's, uh, uh, you want, you have to want to go because it's not easy and it's a pain in the ass, you oh, know, for sure. getting it organized and your gun doesn't show and you're using some guy's borrowed rifle and you've got to shoot this, you know, mountain species across a Canyon at 500 yards with a, you know, AK 47. <laughs> you know? That's right. You've got 20 more rounds. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> Overcoming adversity, that's what we like. I do right. I do have a question. Just looking behind you in, in your trophy room, I see a lion and, and a rhino and things like that. Uh, how difficult were they to get back into the States? Because haven't they, they pretty much uh, signed a treaty saying that the big five aren't allowed, you're not allowed to move them out of Africa? No, uh, what is, uh, England has put that through just okay. lately yep. Yep. and the U S I just got a lion in, they've started issuing permits again. Yep. Uh, they just started issuing elephant permits, mm. uh, once again, and rhinos have always been, uh, the white rhino has always been importable, uh-uh. uh, because they're in, uh, most of them are on private land mm. and there's a huge conservation program. So they allow so many of the old males once they're done that you can go and hunt one. Yeah. But uh, it's the sad thing is about all this idea of stopping the importation is the reality of African hunting. And this gets into a lot of other stuff about politics and about, you know, old fat rich guys going over there and shooting crap from the truck and all this kind of thing, which is not true. I mean, yes, there's a bad segment of hunting as we all know Mm, There's guys that shoot stuff from the back of the truck all over the world. And, you know, it's one thing to do that at night on rabbits. It's another thing to do it on a, you know, a nice deer or something that's just plain poaching or just killing. Right. It's not hunt. Yeah. True. Without big game hunting in Africa, those animals are toast. Yeah. You can say what you want about the whole park systems and all that. And I've been over there hundreds of times. I mean, I, I'm over there all the time now. And you, when you go to the parks and you see what's happening there and you see all the wildlife, the tourist that goes there, they look at it and go, well, that's all we have to do. We just have to have tourism and it'll be fine. That'll, that'll take care of the wildlife. That's one small park. Surrounding that park, let's use the Tanzania or Zimbabwe example, are hunting concessions. So those hunting concessions, then they will, most of the hunting concessions will be, you know, say half the size of the park. It's huge, vast areas, the hunting concessions. 
Well, no villagers can live inside those hunting concessions. So now you've created a false border for the park that the poachers have got to go a long ways, right? They got to pass through a hunting concession, which has a huge anti-poaching patrols. You know, guys like Adam Clements, as an example, over there in Tanzania, he's got a 6,000 square mile concession. He's got 40 guys plus a helicopter plus boats that are patrolling constantly. Mm. And, you know, it's shoot on site patrolling. You know, these guys are shooting back. It's vicious, you know, every man for himself type of poaching and, and, you know, guys shooting at the chopper and stuff like that. It's super dangerous job, but they're out there on the front line protecting the wildlife. Mm -hmm. If you lose those hunting areas, everything is going to be in the park and all those areas are going to turn into cattle ground and there won't be one stick of wildlife yet. Ask the Kenyans how it worked for them. You know, they've got no hunting and it's, they have very little wildlife and most of their wildlife, even that they have in the parks is down in Tanzania, you know, like the Serengeti. So it's, uh, you know, people need to keep that in mind. It's part of the whole hunting culture. Uh, it's a different level, but it's no different than what we do as conservationists in North America and Australia, mm-hmm. right? You got to leave broodstock. You got to protect the land. You've got to have available uh, habitat for them. And we all as hunters and fishermen take care of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the ones paying for it. Yeah licensing or or if you have to pay a trespass fee on a farmer's place a farmer's gonna let fallow deer live on his land you know if some bogan wants to give him 500 bucks for it (laughs) right or 100 whatever it is he's not gonna let him eat his beans and his barley if if there's no value i mean you can only eat so many axes deer or you know yeah that would just, just wipe them out we get a lot of that in australia uh uh, a lot how that lot farmers just want everything gone and they're not really seen as a commodity and because they're an introduced species they're, they're labeled as a pest not wild game so there's no real it's either there's deer on the land because a landowner wants them there and he's getting you know as you said 500 bucks for for a group of guys to come in and hunt them or there's nothing they just get wiped out spotlight spotlit thermals a huge one now or they'll just go at night, they're thermal, uh, you know, shoot 80 deer and then there's nothing. It's gone. Once yeah. it's gone, you're not getting it back either, which is a pity. Uh, we're very short-sighted here in Australia and we certainly don't le- learn from other people that have, have done this and succeeded in doing it, which is disappointing. Not everywhere in, in Australia, but but a lot of places definitely. All right, Alan, what is your most treasured possession? That five seven seven. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about family members or wives nah. or anything like that. No, no, no. Okay. Let's go with uh, material possession. Wives. Hang on, that's plural. Wives. Plural <laughs> wives. How many you got, mate? <laughs> One at a time. Um, yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Remind <laughs> me to tell her that this podcast never happened. Um, <laughs> I would say, actually, I think it is the 577. Um, <laughs> I have this, uh, it's uh, Alex Henry. It was made by in Scotland in 1887. And we have a video that tells you all the details on YouTube. It's, uh, it's quite a story that it had. But you know, something that I don't think came in on the video, that rifle was actually in Australia for a while. Oh, 
And I got it through when uh, Australia was getting rid of all the big calibers and you couldn't keep them anymore. Or, yep, yep. So you could sell them before they confiscated them or whatever the detail was. The buyback, yep. What was that, like 25 years ago or something? Uh, about 96. Yeah. Yep. Somewhere in there. Okay. So that's where it came from. It had been built in Scotland. Uh, and I have all the records from day one of it coming all the way through. And then in 1920, the guy had it rebarreled because it was originally black powder, of course, in those days. And he had it rebarreled for uh, nitro. And uh, so it's a 577. We call it Sir Alex. You know, Sir after Alex. The, <laughs> after the greatest coach of all time. Sir Alex Ferguson, Josh. Josh doesn't know, know anything about soccer. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So Alex Ferguson, you know, the man, the dude, the legend. So we call the 577 Sir Alex. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. It hasn't let me down. I've killed a couple buff, you know, when they were coming and it worked at the right time. And so, uh, it's, and it's killed a lot of Buffalo and a lot of other stuff. And it's got some stopping power. It looks like a mule. It looks like it, it barks. How is it to shoot? Uh, it kills on one end and maims on the other. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember you saying that same thing in your show. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, uh, but you know, it's one of those things they say about kick that it depends on your body size and your structure and that, that, you know, if you're like in my case, you know, I'm 150 pound weakling. So, you know, I have no body fat, so it doesn't really, it, you know, it'll probably break something, but you don't get that full impact. We do have a video about that double going off where both barrels went off that threw me out of the camera. (laughs) <laughs> or out of the, you know, but that was, that actually wasn't mine. That was another guy's uh, 500, but, uh, so it's not bad. I mean, you don't want to ever check it at the range. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that if it misses, it was me because I'm never going to get it to the range. <laughs> but, but you know, when you crawl up on a Buffalo or an elephant or something and you know, the last thing you're thinking about is kick. Yeah. And those old doubles, you know, they're super balanced and they, you know, they come up like a shotgun does, you know, it's just instantaneous, like, you know, to your eye and they're really comfortable to shoot. Those guys did a great job in the old days and still do, you know, on the Mm -hmm. doubles, but I mean, you you know, talk about expensive, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. You got Holland and Holland. You can get a new house as well. Yeah, but here a five seven seven, you'd probably be looking at right now. Oh, forty bucks a shot, (laughs) forty dollars Australian a shot. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I think the brass is like nineteen dollars each now. Oh wow, dear. Do you hand load for that or just factory? No, there are no factory. There's a couple of guys in the States that'll load them. Yep. So I keep the brass and, you know, the first thing I tell the tracker is whatever, I, whatever you do, make sure you pick that brass up when I crack <laughs> it open, you know, cause I'm going to be re- reloading really quick. So I'm not going to worry about it, but yeah, you know, at 19 bucks each, pick those things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you just imagine walking around dropping twenty dollar bills just behind you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what you're doing if you don't reload or pick up all your brass. So But that's the great thing about a five seventy seven is you're not gonna shoot it ten times a day. That's true. You know. So you could line two or a few roos up at once and and, and knock them <laughs> and get your get your best bang for your buck. <laughs> five for one deal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe 10 in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. 
Actually, this is something that, that talking about meat, uh, or not kangaroo, but venison here is now seventy dollars a kilo. Woo. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I just saw an article about it uh, this morning or last night. One of the two. Yeah, she's she's right up there. Are you allowed to sell the meat if you take it as a hunter, or is it commercially raised? Uh, you can. I think there's a, a few things that you've got to do. So you couldn't just shoot it and drop it into a butcher. I think you've got to get some licensing to 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 do that. That's the closer you get to the city, the further you get out into the country. Butchers they'll they'll definitely take it for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's that trade off, but it. it It'd be worth it, like, and, and it's certainly been like crossing our mind, so we can save some money to go to the states or go to Africa. But, but uh, I just don't think there's that, enough people eating it here yet. So. We have that same thing happens in America too. The sanitary issues get less and less the further you get away from the yuppies <laughs> in the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They probably live longer outside the city as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good yeah. stuff. All right. Yeah. Alan, recommend a movie to us. Huh. Let's see a movie. Well, I mean, Ghost in the Darkness is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which, by the way, he's shooting a Holland and Holland uh, double in that. Yeah. Uh, Royal. You know, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I wish Val Kilmer wouldn't have played such a wussy role. You know, he should have <laughs> killed that, those lions a lot sooner than they did. But, um, but it was good. You know, I thought it was uh, interesting and certainly got my interest peaked. Have you seen uh, the the... The lines, because they're stuffed in a museum in the state somewhere. Yeah, in uh, Chicago, I think it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. The man eaters of Tsavo. Yeah, yeah. I'd yep. love to see that. To be honest, uh, that that movie is just yeah. Every time I watch it, it's just bone chilling. It's good. Two big females. Oh, they were females. Yeah. Ah. Contrary to movie lore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably read the book. <laughs> yeah, John Patterson. Wasn't John? Yeah, John Patterson. Yeah. No, I've got to admit, that's a good movie choice. I'm, I'm definitely definitely there with that. Um, I still have the DVD of it and, uh, you know, still have a DVD player somewhere in the house. And so every once in a while, you know, you got to sit down with a beer. And, and a DVD player. <laughs> even, even though, you know, I could probably do the thing verbatim. Yeah. Just act it out in the trophy yeah. room. Make <laughs> you want to grow your hair long and you know dress like uh, Michael Douglas. You know? <laughs> Love it. All right, Alan, what was your first rifle? My first rifle was a uh, big game rifle. It was a 7 mil, and it was a – oh, my God. Um, it was a Mauser – style action but it was the what's the uh, czechoslovakian uh CZ? CZ. yeah exactly yeah. it was one of those yeah but their uh cheap version you know like i paid 50 bucks or something for it. <laughs> 50 bucks and, uh, it didn't have a scope and that's where i learned how to not put scopes on <laughs> and uh so you know five boxes of shells later and then I found out that 
you know, rifles are so good now compared to what we used to have to deal with mm. that, you know, it's not, I mean, I hate to keep going on the past on this stuff, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cheapest factory rifle that you can buy right now is 20 times better than other than maybe the Winchester model seventies, you know, something like that, or the Remington custom shops or something like that. But the normal rifle you bought at the sporting goods store mm-hmm. that you went home with a scope and ammo wasn't that good either, or, you know, that consistent, mm-hmm. but you know, you'd, you'd leave the range with like, you know, six inch pattern at a hundred yards and you were happier than hell. <laughs> yeah. Minute a deer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can hit him somewhere at least with that pattern. <laughs> but uh, that thing was a piece of crap. And I don't know how many deer I missed on Kodiak with it. And, you know, some of it was me too. Probably had a 12 pound pull, you know, on the trigger. You just didn't know anything about it, but you got to learn things the hard way. And so the trick was, is you just had to get close. Mm-hmm. You know, you just had to do the sneaky sneak till you're right on top of them. Cause you knew at 50 yards, <laughs> you could hit somewhere <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, you, you, you get them somewhere. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask. So uh, obviously with your show and things like that, do you ever get time to just pick up one of your rifles, one of your new rifles that, that you've got and just head locally just for some, venison or something like that like you just head out no i'm gonna go shoot a deer today you know could be trophy could be meat doesn't matter do you you get time to do that like being obviously you're extremely busy no i do and uh it's great there again uh you know having friends that have a farm or uh uh, we we went down i got a buddy that had a place in nebraska went down there this year ended up not shooting anything just because he wanted to shoot some you know a management bucks uh we have deer that'll have, you know, oddball horns, or they're just not going to develop. Well, when that's what you told them you do, and then that's the day that all the big ones keep coming out day after day. And you know, I, you know, I'm texting going, Hey, there's a nice 10 point right here. That looks like he needs to be cold. <laughs> no, no, no. I sent you the pictures of the ones I want you to kill. But uh, yeah, I do. I usually get a couple deer, uh, each year, uh, you know, just for fun. And I mainly though, to be honest with you in my spare time now, I'm duck hunting. Duck hunting. I, I kill a lot of, you know, I mean, I duck hunt every day I possibly can when I'm in, you know, the States and, uh, we're lucky the farms are only an hour away from the house. So we can pop down there. I got Jack, the dog who's, uh, because of COVID and not being able to go anywhere, you know, not that Jack got COVID, but because COVID's been a problem. <laughs> Although he was kind of acting funny today. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's nice. I mean, I love duck hunting, you know, waterfowl, the whole dog thing and calling them and faking them out and decoying them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun deal. Yeah. And great sure. eating. Yeah. So, yeah. It's something that, that unfortunately here in Australia, it falls during the rut. The, the duck season so and it takes second place to, <laughs> to shooting deer so it's something that like everyone would like to do more of but but just it doesn't work out <laughs> it, it doesn't but, but you know back to what you're talking about about getting to go out and and be on your own it's it's the funnest thing there is to do you mm-hmm. know to go out and take a pack and wander around in the woods and and do everything yourself you know it's uh I mean, 
I'm not complaining about, you have to have guides. Most of the places I go, you can't go by yourself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like in Africa, you have to have a guy. It's the law and, and it's dangerous. So you do want those guys to be there, but, For sure. um, and even, you know, speaking the language and being there so many times and all that, you have, you know, really, and they're really good about letting me, you've seen on the videos, you know, they let me go up and, you know, get my stuff done and they're not holding my hand or anything. Yep. Uh, not on camera. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, editors, for making me look macho. Uh, but uh, no, getting to go out and wander around on your own, it's, it's how we learn to hunt and, you know, your skill, t- testing your own skills and all that. It's it's pretty special. Yeah, it is. It's it's something we definitely talk about a lot is just a, a great way of recharging is is being out there in the elements and, and doing all that stuff yourself and, you know, whether that's by yourself or with mates and, and then you come back to the campfire and you tell the stories, even if you haven't shot anything, it's such a great experience. Yeah. So we definitely advocates for that. Now, Alan, take us back to when you were a kid and where all this started. So was it with hunting that your sort of love of the outdoors started or was it fishing or was it just being outside and camping? How did that all begin for you? Being outside camping, my dad would take us out and uh, I had two brothers. So... And we were, you know, terrorists, you know, it was my poor mom, <laughs> Saturday, but you know, he took us out and we didn't have any money. So camping was a great way to get out and we'd go fishing. He'd always take us fishing. We'd find a river, you know, somewhere around or a stream and, or hike into a lake. And he was real good about, you know, he was very outdoors, you know, making fires. And my mom grew up in a farm, uh, in Saskatchewan. So of course she'd been around, you know, butchering rabbits and cleaning trout and, you know, whatever else had to be done and making a fire. So it was a really nice uh, experience and being out there and, and, you know, building fires and whittling and being around knives and, you know, learning the hard way, you know, pointed away. <laughs> you know, the worst thing is you, you cut your finger doing something wrong and then you'd get your behind kicked you know, from mom for being stupid besides. So it wasn't the cut that hurt so much as the whipping you got, but yeah, it was that of being outdoors and being outside. And then, uh, as I was saying, once I got to Alaska and got the chance to really be remote, you know, cause in Alaska, they take you in a float plane and they drop you off and they're not coming back for whatever that is, seven, 10 days, 14 days, whatever it is. So, you know, and especially before satellite phones, mm-hmm. They dropped you off and you wait till they come back. And if the weather's bad, they don't come back on the day that they said they're coming back. And, you know, God forbid you're down to eating only salmon or whatever's in the river or, you know, the last of your sheep or whatever you've got. So it was, it's been a great run. And it's one of the great things about uh, getting to do stuff on your own and seeing Alaska as a resident, you can go and do all those things. Mm-hmm. You don't need a, you, know, you can get a drawing permit or, and some stuff is just open. Like you can go caribou hunting every year. And, you know, depending on the area, we used to get three caribou, five deer, you know, you get a bear, a, a brown bear, a brown bear was only every four years, but you get black bear every year. Yeah. Uh, so lots and lots to do mountain goat. You could get one, some places two. So uh, it was neat to get out and be able to do the camping and all that. And just all the things you learned as a kid, then you got to put them into play only now you're hunting and processing the meat and all that as well. Yeah. So well, it's, it's definitely been quite the progression and I'd definitely encourage people to, to read your books 
and also watch your show to, to see some of these hunts. Now, of all these hunts, which are quite mind-blowing and how you've progressed from being a kid to, to going overseas to, to basically travelling the world hunting, is there a hunt that stands out as your favourite? Uh, besides the next one? Uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll ask you about that after then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I love Cape Buffalo hunting. I don't know what's wrong or why or you know, I just, I just like, I love it. It's scarier than crap. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's a one-on-one you sneak in as close as you can. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. So I think as far as a, a favorite, I would just have to say just Buffalo hunting in general of just getting to go do it. And that it's just, it's uh, a blast. I mean, I've had been so lucky the Pakistan ones, you know, the getting to shoot a mark or, uh, I was one of the, first few guys that got in there when they first opened up and that was a true adventure. And I have him right there here. Well, nobody else can see it, but there he is up there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've, I've seen that wall yeah. on your photos. <laughs> uh, yeah. there's, there's more to come of that, but, I'm, um, but yeah, it's a, you know, mountain hunting is super cool and uh, probably the most difficult. So you remember so many of those, uh, getting a sheep hunt in Alaska by myself, my buddy, Mac Padgett, the high tech redneck that's in so many of the shows with me, mm. uh, he and I would get dropped off up in the mountains and we'd go sheep hunting. And it was so remote and so rough that we would just take turns every year. We would only take one sheep. So one year be Mac's turn next year, be my turn. And you just go and cause you can only carry one out mm-hmm. where we would go. There was no way you could carry enough gear and then get the sheep out as well. You mm. couldn't get two sheep out. It's just too far. So plane would drop you off and you'd have to just start walking, mm-hmm. you know, in the Brooks <laughs> range up in the Arctic. And so super cool and really rewarding. And when you got a sheep and that plane came and got you, <laughs> you were <a> man. Oh, <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, any of them sound pretty good to us. So yeah, definitely. Awesome. The cold beer at the end of the plane floor, I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially when you can't take any beer with you because you can't carry it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's true. always a way. There's always a way for beer. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not saying we didn't leave somewhere the plane dropped us off and cover it with rocks to keep the grizzlies <laughs> off of it or anything, but, but yeah. See this bear right here? Yeah. That's that bear my wife shot this spring. I don't know if you saw the picture. Of yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah, we did. We just that black that. bear. Yep. Um, so it's the only Boone and Crockett bear killed in uh, Alaska in two years. And it's, to put it in perspective, I've never met anyone that's killed. Uh, Boone and Crockett is the record book. If you don't know, so it's a, the North American record book. Yep. But to put it in perspective, it's the size of a normal grizzly bear. And it's a black bear, which are normally, you know, half that size. But it was just freak out, walked onto the beach, her turn. You know, it's like the sixth thing she's ever killed. (laughs) (laughs) We all know someone like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, if it's your turn to shoot, it's your turn to shoot. That's it. What are you going to say? I was going like, I I'm looking at the guy like, no, please. He goes, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is when you're like, 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know, break a stick or something like that and the bear runs <laughs> off and you're like, yeah, yeah. sorry. Fart <laughs> really loud. <laughs> yeah, you, you would have been tempted, I'd imagine. Now, Alan, you mentioned your next hunt and that was actually one of my questions. Is there a hunt coming up? What's, what's next for you? Uh, we've got a, a trip back to Tanzania uh, in uh, the fall to uh, shoot buffalo. Oh, wow. That's a newsflash. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let's see what else we got. We're going to Alaska on a, we go salmon fishing uh, out in the bush. We stay in a camp out there. It's a, kind of a remote river. It's a secret spot. So I can't tell anybody where it is, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's called the Nushigak river. <laughs> but, uh, Fair that's enough. really not the name of it, but I'm just saying that. <laughs> what an ass the guy is. He won't even tell us where he goes. Um, but uh, we're going to uh, Croatia, chase sheep around in uh, September. So, and then uh, birds in Spain. There's a red leg partridge there. It's kind of a lot. It's not really. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fair hunting's it's, good. Yeah, it's a fun, you know, uh, place to go with your wife and have a great time. And these guys are hosting us to come over, so you know, lucky me. But uh, but it's it's awesome. I'm not knocking it, but you know, it's not like you're climbing a mountain. Or the only thing that's going to scare you is you know when you've had too much red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a normal trip out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Or when the cook shows up in your room, you know, something like that. But Ooh, Yeah, no, that'll do it. Oh, very good. Very good. That's, how, do you, how do you go with all that? Like, they're obviously predetermined, and, and you obviously have a big role in determining where you want to go for the hunt for the show. And you've obviously got a crew, so you've got so much logistics to sort of figure out with COVID as well. Yeah. How much, how much planning goes into a trip like this? A lot, especially the African ones, because you've got, uh, of course, firearms, which you've got all the permits that are needed. And depending how you fly to those places, the U.S., of course, we don't have anything other than when you come back, you need to show proof that you owned them before you left, you know, Mm -hmm. so you don't import uh, illegal firearms. So you just register before you go or register doesn't really sound right, but you have to get a form that shows the serial number. But if you go through Amsterdam, you know, you got reams of paperwork, you got to fill out just to get through just in transit, you know, Mm. just to fly from Seattle, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Dar es Salaam, you've got to have all this documentation, blah, blah, blah. And most of the good outfitters have, uh, you know, they've got their act together. They do it all the time. So they know which way to go. I've got a great manager, Heidi Adams, who, uh, you know, when I first hired her, she didn't know where Kansas City was, let alone Tajikistan. <laughs> now she's like, oh, yeah, Arusha. Yeah, that's right uh, below the Serengeti, at, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is how you get there. And so uh, she's we always laugh if she ever quits working for me, she'll go be a travel agent because there's no place she hasn't booked. <laughs> Or, or my new deal too, is that I've got buddies that'll go, okay, what day are we supposed to be there? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all that. I go, I'll get you the tickets. Heidi will take care of it. She'll get your passport copies. She'll take care of it. 
because I don't want you not showing up <laughs> and screwing the thing up because your travel agent who doesn't even know where Dar es Salaam is on the map, you know, <laughs> is going to book you on three stops and your guns end up in Poland or something. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, D. So yeah, uh, that really, but yeah, it's a ton of stuff. And especially with a camera crew and, uh, you know, it's a couple guys and figure out that and, you know, but, uh, but more, you know, another interesting thing about the shows though, while you're talking about the travel and the pre-planning is it's the, there's a lot of scripting that we try and do in advance Mm -hmm. where we try and have a theme or, uh, uh, you know, what's our, what's our shtick this week, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, after you kill somebody in Buffalo, there's, there's, there's only so much crap you can do. Right. I mean, yeah, true. It's like yeah. guys with deer shows, right. You know, Hey, here comes another deer. Boom. Okay. Now we need to make a story out of it. Yeah. So we try and do something in advance. like give the conservation angle. Uh, maybe it's a mountain hunt for the Buffalo this time or something like that. Of course, a lot of it is you're winging it as you go because you get there and you've got all these plans on what you want to do. And then it doesn't happen or it rains the whole time. Okay. Now we're making a show about hunting Buffalo in the rain. Yeah. yeah. You know, things like that. So, but I got this great cameraman, Jeff Parker, that's been with me for years and a big shout out to that guy. He's stood his ground every single time <laughs> something has come and had snakes in his tent he always gets the second class accommodations. Sorry, Parker, but <laughs> Those, uh, yeah, good good help is hard to find, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just a good guy to travel with. And you know, he's a big part of the team. You never see those guys on the, you know, front end of the camera, but they're the ones that make it all happen. He's never, ever, knock on wood, missed a kill shot yet. I, you know, ten years. So I I gotta ask, have you ever you were talking about obviously the best laid plans turn to shit. Have you ever gone out somewhere and you just haven't seen your target species and it's just like, oh, we've got to stay here for another another week to, to try and come up with something? Obviously that's a little little different when you're being guided because the guides know where the – or they can know where the animal are. But Yeah, yes and no. Um, a good guide and a good outfit, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the industry, in the, especially in the TV industry and stuff, you know, you, you got to do what you can to get, you know, the best package. And sometimes you just make a mistake, you know, a guy promises the world and you want to go to a new area. You know, I try and always get references and right. I never go with anybody that's somebody I know hasn't been with, unless it's an exploratory deal, like into the stands or, you know, library and crap like that. Mm. But uh, yeah, well, I was in uh, the Salou one time and we had this whole big plan about a crocodile and, you know, a bunch of Buffalo and all that. Well, it was late rains. The grass was 10 feet high. You couldn't see any Buffalo, you know, we're on day seven and the game scout was this, <laughs> this little lady and, uh, she never got out of the truck. She just sat with her. She wore these little like, uh, fancy slippers and she'd walk from her tent. And she's the game scout, you know, that writes the licenses and is supposed to be making sure you're obeying the law and stuff. And on day seven, she pulled me aside and she said, and luckily I can speak the language. And she said, you need to kill something. I said, I'm trying, ma'am. And she said, 
day you need to kill something and it's on me. No charge, but I've been eating beans and rice for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the word is enyama is meat in yeah. Swahili. We need enyama two days. <laughs> I, I will. I'd hate to be the next Impala, Gems, you know, whatever runs out of the grass next is getting toasted. You know? <laughs> and sure as hell, as fate would have it, we're walking down the road because we saw some uh, hartebeest, the uh, Lichtenstein hartebeest, the kind of yellow one that has the odd horn that goes backwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, like four or five of them males run across the road, but they're into the grass. So, okay, let's go. We'll follow them, find an opening and all that. We don't go 20 yards off the road and up stands three buff. They've been <laughs> laying there the whole time and we never saw them. So one stands up. So thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Free buffalo. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Free buffalo. <laughs> Perfect. Now you're in Inyama. <laughs> so good. So good. Now, Alan, something we, we've discussed on this podcast a lot is is your progression as a hunter, not yours, but ours. And if once you've got a species, where do you go from there? So you might you might for us it's in Australia here, it's it's definitely the all the different species of deer and you might shoot a decent buck and then you've got a progression to shoot a like a massive buck and it's you know, you can progress. For someone like yourself who's shot over three hundred and fifty species and had the grand slams and the big five how 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 do you feel about all that? Because you've achieved so much. Do you feel like you've still got somewhere to progress to? Because that's that's what's staggering for us is to have so much, but then still have that hunger and want to. Something eluded you. Like how how do you sort of feel about all that? I think it's a phase that you go through. That you know whether it's life phase or uh, goals that you set for yourself. I. I could care less if I got a new species anymore at this stage and the things that I don't have, you know, if it comes up or they open up, you know, I'd certainly go, but you know, I, I, I think when I look back on it, I'm really happy with, with what I've done and, and, and gotten to go to all these great places. And, and I hate to be that guy sometimes that is a, a collector because mm. that's what it sounds like. And I can give you a thousand reasons why that's not what I am. I'm a collector of experiences, mm. not of the animals. Yeah. But, but we did, right? And we kept score. Let's be perfectly honest. Of course. But what matters now is doing what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And if what makes you happy is getting a different species because you want to do it and you're still going to utilize the animal, you're still eating it, it's still hunting. It's not whacking and you know nobody that i know is that's in the industry kills stuff and lets it lay mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean we all it, i've never even heard of or thought of anybody doing that you know maybe a, a poacher or somebody like that but i mean a, a guy like us right that hunts you yeah. would never leave i don't care if it's a rabbit or what it is i'm i eat rabbits in my yard that get in my garden all the time they're great <laughs> because they're getting expensive lettuce the little bastards <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I'm saying is that now it's really enjoyable to get to go, you know, and do what you want to do. Mm. I'm not under any pressure. I don't put myself under any pressure. I like Buffalo hunting. And if people want to watch Buffalo shows, then watch Buffalo shows. If you, you know, if you expect me, if you need something, you know, we're always trying to do different stuff and we have other things, but I'm not going to go back and shoot another Markor 
And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, uh, but I still love deer hunting and, and doing things like that. So I think it's more about uh, what, whatever passion you have. Mm-hmm. Some guys just want to fill the freezer and I'm in, I mean, we had the, we were in meetings in Hawaii as an example on the Island of Lanai and you know, uh, the author, Jack Carr. Oh yeah. 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 yeah you know, he's big now. He's, big deal yep. well you know jack used to be a guide and had a hunting operation on lanai oh. yeah and uh, on the in hawaii yep. and they have a huge population of axis deer they're overpopulated blah 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 but anyhow so we're over there hanging out and the guy goes okay you know mr smith we've got this blah 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 you know we think he might be the number five and all that i go you missed the memo i mean i'm here to get some freezer meat mm-hmm. i'm shooting yeah. For the thing I see with the smallest set of horns, hopefully he's still got milk on his lips. You know, I want a young one because we're filling the freezer. I don't, Yeah. why am I going to shoot that big old gnarly one that I don't have room for anyhow Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, something for the freezer. So I think it's just in what a guy wants, but the idea of upgrading, especially in an area where you're at, the hardest thing with that, that people have, and I, get asked this question all the time. Like, how do you get big animals? Cause I don't shoot little ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the dumbest ones are the little ones. Right? I mean, if, you're, if you're sitting in a stand or you're driving down the road, you know, the, the new number one is not standing in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. That's you true. Know? That's true. His little brother is, Cause he's too stupid. He hasn't been shot at yet, but yeah. so you got to be willing to pass up and say, you know, I'm just not going to kill a deer because I want to kill a deer. If you want to get a big one, it's sometimes you stumble on a big one. It happens. You know, great example. We were talking about my wife shooting first black bear she ever saw in her life besides the ones in the yard, <laughs> you know, and it's a monster. Mm. So it does happen, but you can't shoot a big one. If you shoot little ones. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's a great insight, and we I I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, this weekend just gone. Uh, I mean, we went out, and our primary focus was to get Josh's deer, uh, Josh's dad, his first deer, which I know um, we saw plenty of deer ourselves, and we could have pulled the trigger, but we were there first and foremost to get his dad his first deer, and he did. And then we still passed up after it. Yeah. We just yeah, we were like, nah, we were quite content with just watching them. I saw the photos. That's, that's an incredible story. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very lucky. Hunting brought me and my dad together, but he deer hunting in, in South Australia is very difficult to sort of get into and he's never had that opportunity. And then over the years, work and everything has just sort of fallen into place for him or I've been away. And so, yeah, to, to, to get out with him and get his – First year when it should be the other way around. <laughs> this should have happened 35 years ago, Dad. <laughs> Hope you're listening. Um, but, but yeah, it was it, it, like the smile on that photo says it all. His face, like, I haven't seen him smile that, that much for years. Oh, it's, it's a great shot. I saw it on your Instagram. I think it was a Facebook. And, yeah. But, you know, you just touched on something that's a huge thing that we as hunters, I believe, have really got to – uh, make an effort to do, and that's to get more people out. Agree, hundred percent. That's kids and wives, or you know, your buddy and his wife. You know, yeah, we 
Hey, it's great to go out a bunch of guys. We go camping and rough it and all that. And, and it's awesome. And, you know, we don't necessarily want to have a, a girlfriend or wife along if there's only one, especially it changes the mood of the camp. Let's just say, it does. but, but in the big picture or a buddy from work, because the only time I see every time I run into people and we get talking about this subject, they go, yeah, I always wanted to do it, but you know, my dad didn't hunt my, nobody in my family did. And you're the only guy I know that hunts. So I'm sitting there like, well, I guess I better take him hunting then. Cause he wants to, mm. but he's never had the opportunity. And yet, as I say here in, in the West coast of the United States, you can drive an hour from my house and it's tens of thousands of public acres to go hunting on for deer and black bear and elk and things like that. So but if you don't know and no one will show you or at least point in the right direction, like go get your hunter safety education. That's the first thing to go do. Go have a professional teach you how to handle firearms. Mm-hmm. You know, then let's talk about what kind of gun you want to get. It's, but I'm not taking you next week. and going to let you shoot a deer just because you decided you want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to chops a little bit here. Yeah. So, but when they go through the process, you've converted somebody from being probably not necessarily a bunny hugger or anti hunting, to now understanding it and understanding the thrill, mm-hmm. the whole thing about being outdoors where you clear your head, you get some exercise that you don't get when you're working in your office every day. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a special thing that we get to do, but, and I know that we don't, <laughs> you don't want to take him down that road that only, you know, where <laughs> the deer always hang out, you know, right next to that Creek. True. But Maybe take him like within a half a mile of it or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At least just showing him, showing that experience to them. And that's the best thing for people to see firsthand because there's a, unfortunately a lot of misconceptions about what hunting's about. And to actually show someone firsthand, <laughs> I, I, we've done it quite a few times and it's blown people's mind because they go, well, you're not a bunch of rednecks that just go around and shoot everything you see. There's actually some care, some thought there. And, Oh wow! You guys have to pay money every year to to have a license to to own a firearm, to go and jump through all these hoops to be able to do the thing that we love doing, and I think you can gain a level of respect from people through being able to to show them. Um, and definitely, the media does such an injustice to hunters out there in that they portray the negative aspects or they'll show someone who's a bit of a cowboy and does the wrong thing. And then people tar all hunters with that same brush. So mm-hmm. it's, it's so good to sort of counter that with, with our own experiences and, and teach people what, what it's really about. So it's, it's great that people like yourself is out there uh, making shows like rugged expeditions to show people what that experience is like. So that in itself, yeah, in, it like intrigues a lot of people and, and yeah, get some interested and get some asking, which is what we want. It's what we need because the sport, the industry doesn't grow or continue, I should say, uh, unless people are doing it. That's it, and spreading the word. Yeah, yeah, we've got this like odd fad in Australia that like wild game meat is leaner. So people are all about fitness, and they they get on their fitness motivation, and then suddenly they eat kangaroo. Because it's leaner than beef, and and you're like, mate, I'm eating venison, which is ten times better than that, that piece of shit rat that you you, you bought at the shops. <laughs> Honestly, have you tried roux? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you like it? You know, you put enough hot sauce on it. Yeah, yeah. 
No, that says um, it all. It tastes <laughs> like shit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's a little scary, but yeah, I put it in a stew pot and boiled the shit out of it and I threw the meat out and drank the stew or however that goes. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, though, I think if we can keep reaching out and trying to help others at some level, whether it's through education or like you say, the shows and that, but I've never taken anybody, whether it's, you know, my daughters when they were young and I'd take their friends out and we used to shoot prairie dogs. We have this little ground squirrel thing. Um, we, we have several different varieties. Ground squirrels about like the size of a rabbit, yep. something like yep. that goes down the hole. Anyhow. And at lots of farms in the West, you have tons of them. You know, I mean, it's nothing to shoot a thousand in a day, you know, between a couple of guys. Wow. A they thousand. shoot the seven and 22s. I mean, it's the funnest thing you can do with your pants on. <laughs> they, uh, but, you know, I take them out there. And so their choices, I'd, I'd go through all the safety with them. We'd have bolt action, little 22s or 17s, and we'd shoot these prairie dogs. And they're all city girls. Next day, I go, okay, today we can go horseback riding. We can ride the four wheelers. We can go down on the river. We'll go fishing down there. Uh, what would you guys like to do? And, you know, this one little girl raised her hand and goes, uh, Mr. Smith, we had a vote and we all want to go back and kill prairie dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I created monsters out of these cute little girls. You know, they're like, oh, that was so great the way you hit that one in the head. But, I use that as an example that I've never taken anyone hunting who didn't love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, once they get out there and they see the experience and they enjoy the camaraderie and the whole thing about doing something different and being out there never once if I had somebody say, you know, I'm never going to do that again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. So there's something about it, you know, that is inside of us that uh, our DNA says that, you know, we are hunters. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. It's a very primal instinct. And, you know, we've modernized it with, with firearms and, and all the technology we use now. But I think at all of our cores, there is that desire. And a lot of people just don't know it. Then they, they spend their entire life in a city and then they work in an office and they don't get out there and try this and realize that, you know, if nothing else, it's it's just a stress relief to get out there, even if you're not well, come, successful. comes back to know. that other thing, man, that, that like when – when you're out there, and I've, I've said this before, I think, that being out in nature as a predator, you get to see nature at its rawest because – And from a different be, perspective. Well, because you're putting yourself in, okay, you've got to look at your wind and your thermals and this and that, you're getting to see other critters, you know, it like naturally. They're just grazing along, not a care in the world because they don't know you're there that if you were just hiking up a hill and not worried about these other aspects to it, that the animal would smell you and go, you know, and, and so you're putting yourself in that in that environment as a predator. One, which one of my favourite ways I've heard hunting described is inserting yourself into the food chain. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, one thing that excites people like us, so obviously we get to watch your shows and things and – it's like a we aspire to get there. We aspire to get to living to, vicariously yeah, for Alan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> my, my missus has watched your show now, and I don't think she's ever thought she would have. <laughs> <laughs> 
tough. We're watching some rugged expeditions tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too bad, mate. We're watching it. <laughs> if you start watching it in the bedroom and uh, – anyhow. No, it's, it's in the bedroom. <laughs> Sorry. You, ah. It's already there. <laughs> Maybe she's got a fixation for old guys or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. There's a lot of jokes that have been made about mounting things on walls, but we won't we won't, won't, <laughs> won't go there. <laughs> yeah. Is this a family show, by the way? <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> oh. oh dear. But anyway, what do you what do you reckon? Have you got any more questions for Alan, Josh? Oh, I've got a lifetime of questions. This is the thing. This is the thing with you, Alan. Is you could ask a billion questions, and we could talk for hours and hours and hours because you truly have had some experiences that of you know. A lifetime of hunting. So, uh, look, I you think. You got to do it again. Yeah, I think I think that might be the way to do it because we feel like we've only just scratched the surface. Yeah, definitely. And we got to get together for a hunt. Let's do it. We yeah. will definitely not say no. <laughs> I, I was coming down to Australia a lot, actually. Uh, my best friend there, Mac, the high tech redneck. Yep. He was working in Brisbane. Yep. And uh, came from Alaska, was down there for four years. And uh, so I was coming down to see him and then, you know, we'd pop out and, you know, go up to the Arnhem land and shoot yeah. some up there or uh, went out with the, you know, the guys at Kingham. Oh yeah. Uh, Kingham Safaris, the Websters. Yep. They're buddies of ours. So we hunted with them a few times ah, at Marble Island and out in the boonies with them. And uh, so that's been fun and kind of got around to most of it. I hunted someplace outside of Victoria one time. The guy's not around anymore. That's a long time ago. But so, yeah, it's it's a great place. Oh, yeah. look, if you're ever down in Australia again, let us know because, you know, we've we've got people and we're lucky enough now to have talked to people all over the country. So mm. we've definitely got contacts across Australia now of places we can go, people we can stay with. So it's sort of almost what do you want to chase, though? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I mean you – know, well, if you've got a gun and bullets, that's about all we need. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it. a case of beer. Chase that experience. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be one night. That's, 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 that's Same thing. You guys got to get over here. You know, we always got stuff to whack, you know, most of the year. So Sure. Oh, yeah, look, definitely. 100% we'll, uh, we'll hit you up if we're over there. Now, how do people get a hold of the content that you put out there? How do they uh, come across your videos and Instagram, all that sort of gear? How do they find you? Yeah, well, uh, luckily I have an oddball spelling to my name, so it's the letter J, and then A L A I N Smith. So it's like J Elaine Smith. And if you go uh, at Instagram or Facebook and go to J Allen Smith, it's there. Uh, YouTube, it's a uh, you know uh, YouTube backslash J Allen Smith, and we're right there. Beautiful. And uh, lots of content. There's. Uh, I don't know, 150 or something videos on YouTube. And uh, we're not on TV in the States anymore. We switched uh, a few years ago. There was, you know, this is a big news flash to a lot of people that, hey, you know, not many people are watching regular TV anymore. They're all streaming. So <laughs> yeah. best thing we ever did, because if nothing else, you would never have seen our content. Mm, yeah. Right. Because it's international now. We have, you know, fans and followers throughout the world, which has been great. You know, I got guys. That I've that have been trackers in Liberia <laughs> that are following us and comment on the shows. Wow! A guy living in Dasu, Pakistan, that was my guide when I was there. Now I'm getting you know messages from him. <laughs> hey, we got a guy coming. Do you know this guy? Like, 
how the world is so small now, but it's all because of the, you know, ability to see shows and all that through, uh, you know, and you can watch it whenever you want, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, exactly. Well, and you've got numerous books yes, as well. So I, yeah, yeah, I do have one word of warning though, for all the Australian, uh, listeners. Uh, if you've got somebody that's coming to the U S have them pick the books up and bring them back with you or with them because, uh, your postal rates, (laughs) I think are the highest in the nation and not saying I don't want to sell books in Australia because I do. And we just had a guy buy, uh, like 14 of them to ship them all at once. Mm. But I think it's as much for the shipping as it is for the book, unfortunately, but just a word of warning. That sounds so, about right, to be honest. Sounds like sounds Australia. About right. yeah. yeah. But what? a bunch of books there. The novels, uh, there's three novels. They're all in a series. Uh, uh, it's not a game anymore is the first one. And they're definitely written for us. Uh, I tried to make them as politically correct as I could, but I couldn't. So <laughs> That's when you know it's a good you know, book. <laughs> it's a guy and his uh, young wife on safari in the Central African Republic. And, uh, you know, not to be a spoiler, but she might get kidnapped by the terrorists coming in from Sudan. And so, you know, goes from there. So, and you can also get them on eBooks. Oh, very good. Yeah. 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 So all of them are, you can get through that. Uh, through the website at you know jallensmith.com but yeah I'm on so on, I'm all on ebooks no yeah. postage then <laughs> yeah you can get you could actually get every single book I've done on ebook cheaper than shipping one book I think so. it could be the way to do it for everyone yeah I think, I think if you're listening in Australia yeah j- jump online <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the pre-warning on the shipping uh, cool all right well Alan, thank you so much for your time. We've had a great chat. and a pleasure. Uh, yeah, it would be an honour to have you on again another time. So Definitely. All right. Can't wait to see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll end it there. This has been another episode of Send It Mate. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back next week. Same time, same channel. All right. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks, you guys. That was fun. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. We had heaps of fun. G'day dude and dudettes, Josh here. Do you find it hard to keep your long hard barrels free from gun STDs? Maybe you need a clean out of your bore. If this is you, jump on over to highcaliber.com.au and use the promo code SENDITMATE to receive a 10% discount on all your gun cleaning needs. And remember, it's sexy to support Australian made products. Everyone here at Send It Mate uses high calibre and we can promise you that it'll keep your firearms free from those pesky gun STDs.